ジョジョの奇妙な冒険アイズ・オブ・ヘブンジョジョの奇妙な冒険アイズ・オブ・ヘブンジョジョの奇妙な冒険アイズ・オブ・ヘブンジョジョの奇妙な冒険アイズ・オブ・ヘブンジョジョの奇妙な冒険アイズ・オブ・ヘブンジョジョはい、どうぞ。それは、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、はい、I'm doing okay.、Um, I think you mean JAS. <laughs> what did I say? JSA? Yeah, you said JSA. It's all right. What is that? The, what is that the,、uh, oh, God. That, that's something else, and I can't think of what it is.、Um, I don't think I've ever heard of a JSA. Yeah, it's, oh, God. What is it?、Uh, no, I can't remember what it is. Oh, Junior States of America. That's what it is.、Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a,、uh, a student's, it's, ah,、oh, God. It's like, I don't, there's honestly no point in me getting into this really right now.、Um, but it's like a, it's like model or government things that kids do and shit. It's like, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, like a model UN or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah.、Um, either way.、Um, but Quentin, you're on here. You're not Quentin. Joseph, you're on here <laughs> filling in for Quentin.、Uh, I don't mind being mistaken for Quentin. That's fine.、Uh, it's fair、uh, enough, I guess.、Um, but.、Uh, We are going to talk about the Forbidden Door. The AEW and the Forbidden Door, me and Quentin, we're going to. We were also going to talk about、uh, Tam Nakano and uh, uh, versus Natsupoi cage match. But、uh, I don't know if you watched it or not, and I don't really care about talking about it tonight.、Uh, <laughs> I have not seen it.、Uh, I'm not really the person who keeps up with、uh, stardom in this sure, particular sure. circle. And.、Uh, What else? Oh, um, you did watch、um, Uncharted Territory, right? I generally pick through Uncharted Territory every week.、Sure. I watched、uh, three matches off of the last episode, which is、okay. more than usual. So that's fair、um, enough. I watched it too. We should talk about that really quick before、sure. we get into it.、Um, which three matches did you watch? So I watched the first. Two matches. So that's Anthony Henry versus Channing Thomas, Adam Priest versus、yes. Bobby Flacco, and Kevin Koo versus JD Drake at the end of the show. Okay. Those were the good ones.、Uh, Hossman and Craven、uh, Canyon was pretty good.、Um, yeah, you guys keep hyping up、uh, Noah Hossman. I can't,、yeah. say I've, I can't say I've seen too much of him, but I did enjoy him on the last、uh, SUP show. So、yeah. I will. Ease my way in, like dip my toes into that particular pool. Yeah, this was a good one. It was the Discovery Gauntlet.、Um, and he kind of showed off some different stuff than what he's done in other places. Headgear coming off, really getting run ragged by a, a larger、uh, competitor who kind of played up the size and, and took it to him. With Hossman, has been kind of more playing up the bigger side of things. He still bumps and sells a lot because he's 
know, young, but he doesn't usually get physically dominated like this. It was a good one. Um, highly recommend it. Um, and then the other one that you didn't watch, Joe Black and Derek Neal was decent. And this would have been a good topic to talk to Quentin about because uh, he's higher on Derek Neal than I ever am. And this was actually a solid matchup. But uh, Henry and Tate and uh, Channing Thomas, I was going to say Channing Tatum. Is that the actor? It is. <laughs> it is. It is. I wasn't sure if it was a if I was thinking of Chase Thomas, who is uh, one of the naturals, I think. Yeah. Um, so I was confusing all three of them. Either way, Channing Thomas um, versus Anthony Henry. What is there to say other than Anthony Henry is fucking amazing? Um, He's Dylan so good. Yeah, Dylan on commentary putting him over. Uh, yeah, but yeah, feel free. Go ahead, give your thoughts here. No, yeah, I actually really enjoyed how the episode started with uh, Bacabella on the screen, uh, like a live call in to do his uh, little heel introduction for Channing Thomas. I think it was a nice tone setter, so that when you know Anthony Henry comes out to just beat the hell out of this kid, it's like, okay, yeah, I can get behind this. There's a little more character and meat to this than if I had just gone in completely cold. Um, so I like that they set up those dynamics early. And man, when, when Anthony Henry gets to work, he really looks like he's just one of the best in the world. Like he is on a run and um, his work in the Southeast in particular has been really excellent this year. I thought he got a really good match out of uh, Channing Thomas, who I had never seen before this, so I enjoyed what they were able to do together. I can't say that Thomas did too much that kind of like really stood out on his own. I enjoyed the heel work more or less, and you know, he, he was in there and he had a really good match, but that's sort of just what you expect from Anthony Henry these days. Yeah, that's fair, but I would also say that, like, even with what you're saying, because I I was with you for the most part on what you're saying. And, but I was, even before you started talking, kind of thinking like, I thought Thomas looked pretty good, and, but is part of that, the presentation, as you talked about the pre-match, uh, Sydney Bacabella made him feel more important. I love the world-class Channing Thomas moniker. I just, I'm like, why couldn't you get him a W last name and have him be WCCW, you know, really play up the Texas fucking world-class championship wrestling thing with him here um if you really want you know but that's way too cheesy i bet that's why you don't do that you know i'm i'm too much of a, a i'm too much into the, the extra cheesy over the top stupidness there but sure, a there's a line. Guy, so. yeah right um but uh but honestly here's the thing though like the story of the match was actually a little bit more than what you might expect something like henry uh, not obviously henry's great but you know, if he was wrestling someone who I don't, who I think wouldn't be able to focus and and deliver on the narrative throughout, he may have made it a little bit more simple. But the story of the match and teasing the pile driver repeatedly while also having some limb work here and there throughout, um, I think was actually a little bit more of a um, uh, how do you say like it, it, I can't even think of the word like uh, daring a little bit more difficult of a uh, storyline to put in there if you were going against someone who you didn't think would be able to keep it up so I will say that I think Thomas really delivered his end on a little bit more of a psychologically driven match than just like the, you know doing it really really basic and simple because like you're in there with someone who can't go now that said I you know I'm not super familiar with him so I'm not going to say like, oh, you know, he's great because he had a good match with Anthony Henry. What's the fucking point of saying something like that other than exposing yourself? Because Anthony Henry is great with everyone and Anthony Henry makes everyone look great. So that said, though, I thought that the, the story here was a little bit in depth in a way that makes me think like maybe Channing Tatum at least has a brain. 
maybe he's not the best wrestler in the world, but he's, he can actually like hold up something like that. Cause yeah, I thought that that story and teasing the pile driver repeatedly going to it, but then, you know, uh, not hitting it, finding different and unique ways to counter out transition and also unique ways to tease it. I thought took a little bit more than just your, you know, straight out of wrestling school kind of guy would be able to pull off. Um, that's sure, right. The I next two guys. I didn't okay. think he was like, I didn't think he was like horrible or anything. So it, it's sort of at this, it's sort of at this stage now where if I see him versus someone who I really do like, um, I'll be more willing to give it a shot uh, instead of like just dismissing it out of hand. Like, oh, who is this Channing Thomas guy? But um, I think that I agree with you that he did hold up his end and it was a good match. So let's see when whoever he's booked against next that. Uh, I'm a particular fan of, then I'll I'll give it another shot, see what he brings to the table there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I wasn't trying to say like you were saying he's bad or anything. I just think I think um he showed a little bit more here to me than just was a, a warm body for Anthony Henry to get something out of. Um, which, you know, again, like I said, that doesn't, you know, Anthony Henry's gonna get something out of anybody. Um that said, the next two guys, obviously, neither of them are, are you know fresh out of school, don't know who they are, don't know what they can do. Adam Priest, Bobby Flacco. But I don't know how much of a fan you are of Flacco. I don't have any reason to believe that you would be. But uh, Adam Priest here, obviously phenomenal. But what did you think? Uh, well, I've never actually watched Flacco before. Um, he's just generally not on my radar, even though he's always on these cards that I'm watching. You know, I, I, re I really like to follow uh, the Hales-verse. Um, and he's always showing up there. So I was actually really pleasantly surprised by what Bobby Flacco brought to this match. Uh, I thought he was really good. Um, just a lot of personality coming out. He created a nice vibe in the venue. And he was a really, really good babyface to go up against Adam Priest. He brought a little more of the high-flying stuff to kind of contrast priests more grounded technical stuff but he was holding up his end in that particular style in the ring as well and it just made for a really nice dynamic you know this kind of uh awful piece of shit that we hate adam priest in this particular building uh, against just a really upbeat fun babyface who does cool stuff I, it was this was a really good match i i really really enjoyed this one yeah no it was it was perfect Flacco. I thought I, I really, really enjoyed uh, the way that um, the Dylan again, put him over talking about him being the captain of his wrestling team. Um, and so he's not just what you think of him. And, you know, and I do think that Dylan put a lot of effort into trying to describe uh, his wrestling style. I don't know if you noticed that part. He's talking about, uh, you know, the Southern Lucha and, you know, the WWA4 inspired and, and that he's zany and wacky. And I, I'm like, Dylan, you're putting your you're putting a lot of effort and coming up with a lot of words when all you really need to say is that he's got that fox in him because uh, he is like a little AR fox, <laughs> um, you know, but he's spending too much time explaining all this other stuff. Um, and uh, I think I've referenced it before, but I don't know if I um, came back with the rejoinder as I got the uh, information from Pete. But uh, Pete, my former podcast uh, co-host, told me the person he used to always reference Bobby Flacco reminding him of was Bugsy, uh, Bugsy McGraw, um, who had a, another, another guy who had a really unique charisma and had this kind of did this really weird character, with like being like a fan favorite to kids. But then like, eventually there was a kind of like sometimes where it was a sinister thing. And, but at other times it was just a straight baby face thing. Um, 
but either way, that's not really the point. The point more is like the charisma and the nature that he has where he's just fun and and uh, and does really well with the kids. That's why he's great in action, because they have the children there and, and um, kind of totally get that. So, yeah, him, get, you know, being a punching bag for a priest is, is phenomenal and, and does really well at that. Um, now, I know, of course, you mentioned. Oh, go ahead. And of course, Adam Priest. I mean, yes, he is on a crazy roll right now um the more i watch him the more it's just like wow this might genuinely be just one of my favorite acts like in wrestling not even not even quantifying it to on the independence or in america just in wrestling there's few guys i enjoy watching wrestle more than adam priest right now yeah, people are saying he's the MVP of the series. I don't know if you know this. People, uh, people have been saying this. <laughs> people, people on this podcast have been saying yeah. he's the MVP of the series. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, obviously he's great. Koo uh, versus JB Drake. I think you were pretty high on this, right? I was. I actually think this is Kevin Koo's best ever singles match, maybe? That is wild. But yes, explain. I was just extremely high on this. Like when I've been watching Kevin Koo on Uncharted Territory specifically, there's felt like there's been kind of a ceiling on it. Like even in matches where it should be like on paper, just guaranteed great. Like he had the match versus uh, Ratty. He had that match versus Anthony Henry. And I didn't particularly love either of those matches. Um, and it started to turn a corner with the Kyle Matthews match, which I thought was great. Um, I don't know, something about Koo in this building. It felt like something was just off where he was placed typically later in the show. So the crowd was kind of losing steam or maybe he hadn't built up this connection with the locals in the crowd yet. It's not really one of his regular venues unless he's showing up for like SCI or something. But this week, it, it, it finally, like, it felt like he unlocked something. Like, he solved the puzzle of this particular venue. And, you know, it's J.D. Drake, too, who's just absolutely one of the best guys on the indies. Like, last year, we, you know, 2021, we talk about Daniel Garcia having this massive, amazing breakout year. And, like, you know, a big part of that is that J.D. Drake basically, like, molded a main eventer out of the kid through their series like i think jd drake is that good that he just brings yeah. out the absolute best out of everyone and i think he did that here like he was this brutal stiff hard hitting bully and Koo finally had this like really genuine earnest connection with the crowd uh the lady in the front row who jd kept uh <laughs> trash talking to because she was so heavily rooting for Koo. And all of Koo's comebacks just, it just hit. Like, it, it was finally working. The crowd was really behind him. They were, like, really pushing for him to kind of topple JD Drake. And JD's such a great, like, hulking hoss that he knows perfectly the pacing and the timing of how to do that kind of story where it's like a David and Goliath thing. And I, I just thought that it was really excellently done like genuinely one of the best matches of the year anywhere in the world yeah 100 agree with you on everything there um i think that there's just so much good coup i mean the both of the brian keith matches so far i think have been phenomenal um 
We got, I mean, you say you're talk, talking about all time. You got the Garcia match from WrestleMania weekend a couple of years ago. Um, if not last year, I don't what what is time anymore. Um, it was last and, year. Yeah, it was last year. It was, and then also you've got obviously. Oh, you said singles, right? Yeah, singles. I was gonna yeah. say all the tag stuff, but yeah. So, so you know, maybe the um, maybe the 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 resume is not gigantic, but I think there's a lot there. But I can't argue with you. And JD Drake, I mean, we talked about Adam Priest, and we, me and Quentin did talk about this in the JD Drake versus Adam Priest match. I mean, the guys are so similar in a lot of ways. Just with how they can work, how they can do everything. You talked about Drake being a hulking, you know, beast here, David versus Goliath, but the motherfucker shows up on AEW TV or on, you know, AEW dark. And then like, he's not a gigantic person there because it's like a major TV wrestling show. And they got some actually gigantic dudes and he can wrestle small, you know, Mm -hmm. he can wrestle in between kind of more of like a, almost like a power, like a, a, a mid, an upper mid-sized power junior. You know what I mean? Like he's not like the size of Shingo, but he's definitely not like gigantic. Um, he's like somewhere in between there. Um, and he can play that role really well too. So, I mean, the guy just, he really can do it all. He could do Gaga. I've, I've, I'm always taken aback by this because it was the first time after kind of, he was the, you know, the, the enforcer or whatever he was doing in um, PWX and then there was the work horseman stuff had broken out. And then I saw the work horseman live and like some small bullshit wrestling show in, in LA. And it was the first time they came to the West coast and JD Drake came out, cut a promo full heel motherfucked the crowd, did the whole thing and wasn't just, didn't just, you know, use obscenity. I say that, but he was like very clever and such a fucking snappy promo. And I'm just like, this motherfucking guy, like that really took me back. Cause I had seen nothing of the sort from him. It was all, either spot fest tag guy or just heart like straight up baby face like salt of the earth you know blue collar badass and then to see him pull this heel thing out because he's like ah we're in california no one's gonna know who the fuck we are i'm just gonna play heel um and he was phenomenal at that and that always sticks with me of just how good he really is so yeah uh, i can't i can't uh i can't drag you there for saying like oh this is you know the best match or whatever like this was phenomenal yeah he's insanely versatile and like Earlier, I was referencing the Garcia matches where he's like this incredibly sympathetic baby face, you know, going after this like young up and coming shitty little heel. And now he's like this in the Southeast where in this match and also versus Adam Priest for action recently, he's just this bully, constantly trash talking the crowd. He's absolutely phenomenal. And I I'm made my love for Kevin Koo's work known, um, I think he's just one of the best in the world right now going. Um, and he's only gotten better since last year, which was a really strong year for him. And man, I don't think he could have had this match right now without someone like JD Drake, without someone on that level. Like yeah. JD's really the kind of guy that brings out that next step in a worker and um and kevin Koo's really been putting all the pieces together like when i was thinking about kevin Koo after this match like a lot of his stuff that i enjoyed is like the really hard hitting stuff you know just kind of going in there having a scrap and through the past year he's really been starting to introduce these layers to his ring work that are just incredibly clever really thought out stuff like i guess the start of it was probably maybe the makabe singles match in sup last year 
but I feel like it's really coming to the fore these days. Like the way he picked apart Alex Kane and got that flash uh, arm submission, like right at the last second. And now here being this kind of uh, undersized baby face, just kind of picking apart JD Drake piece by piece until the big guy finally drops. It, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I'm, I'm super excited about where Kevin Koo is like headed. And I'm really excited for when Kevin Koo is eventually going to wrestle Adam Priest because both on Southeast First and Action, they clearly have oh, been yeah. setting up as the match. Like, the match is going to be Koo versus Priest. So that's got a lot to live up to. Yeah, that's going to be phenomenal. And, you know, you talked we talked about the versatility of J.D. Drake, but as you're talking there, it did cross my mind that Koo, I mean, the versatility, not only in what he's doing now, but when you compare that to what he was known for before. And I think... It's pretty easy to forget that even before violence is forever, like the violence is forever tag team really. I, I know that it made a lot more people notice coup and see him in the light of like being a, a tough guy, badass and all that. But like, that was basically all he did before violence is forever too. It was a lot of high intensity, like visceral violence, tough strikes and kicks um, really hard, you know, like, you know, basic submission holds, but done so that they looked insanely brutal stuff like, you know, the half Boston crab with the hammer fists to the back of the head, that kind of thing. Um, and just really nasty, like drivers and suplexes. And that was it. Like he was just all intensity bomb killer. Right. And then you've got the violence is forever. Like it's two just insane beasts who just like bring the violence constantly. We've talked about them as being like modern day road warriors. They like no selling just fucking. Uh, and then to settle into this baby face champion ace who's like shows a ton of weakness sells like you talked about has to show out cunning and figure out ways to over like overcome people and then also can still switch over to the violence is forever in the tag team and be brutal and you believe both it just again shows that versatility and as you talked about being one of the best going i mean that versatility stuff is what makes the case for a lot of us a lot of us kind of uh came into you know understanding of wrestling through uh through um yeah like seeing people who could pull off these versatility cases someone like a jimmy rave and, and the indie run that he did and seeing how good someone could pull something like that off um makes you like kind of expect that from a lot more wrestlers you know before kind of really getting into the indies and starting seeing people pull that kind of thing off you wouldn't you wouldn't see wrestlers have to do this because they worked in one place you know, one place at a time. You weren't seeing people working all over the place. Obviously, Danielson is another guy who was able to pull that off, but even he didn't really always have like such a stark kind of thing. It's like when he, whatever character he was in ROH at the time is kind of what you were hoping to see him do on the other indies. And when he shows up in PWG, you're kind of hoping to get the same guy. Um, so yeah, when you, when you talk about people who are working promotions that are really closely related, but doing totally different stuff, that's when you start to see like, okay, and you're able to pull this off really well in front of similar enough crowds. That's a uh, really impressive. Um, I'm curious. Did you prefer JD versus Koo or JD versus Adam priest? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, probably JD versus priest. Honestly, uh, just, I was, I was really, really enamored with that match. So I would have to say that's interesting. Cause I think generally that's sort of been, the consensus just from the vibe I've gotten from yeah, the people yeah. we know, our friends, and I don't know, something about that priest match, 
it just felt a little more unfocused. I guess I just don't like when people talk on the mic in the middle of a match or something. Like that just throws me off. But so- something about this JD Koo match, like I-, I genuinely thought it was magic. So like it's like up there in terms of best yeah. of the year. I can't blame you. I like Gaga stuff like that, and I've talked about it in the past. I think I've always been pretty, you know, pretty strong into the the like big into the Gaga thing. I've talked about like how positive I am about like Kikutaro and comedy and Colt Cabana. I mean, obviously, you know this. So, so yeah, for me, talking on the mic is you know whatever. I li- I can like it if you do it right, and I think that you know obviously JD is great. Um, and then I thought that the finish on that was how unique it was. Um, and you know, again, I could also see if you're an insane purist, which I know plenty of, you know, uh, plenty of people out there who are, um, and if you don't like the Gaga thing, even that finish was, I could see it's a little gimmicky and it's a little goofy. So if you're not into that, you know, it's not for you. I, I, I get that, you know? So yeah, I can see, I could see that. I could definitely see both parts of that, those things turning people off from that match. Um, and then while the coup JD Drake was a lot more straightforward, um, so I could see why someone would appreciate that more. Uh, but for my taste, I just, the JD and Priest match, you know, again, part of it is just Priest, he's on this run. And when you start building up the run like this and you, and on top of it, you're giving me Easter eggs. Cause that's what that was. You know what I mean? With like, like I said, the Gaga and the character stuff in our review, when we talked about it, that's like, it's just little Easter eggs. It's extra. It's like, okay, this guy's great. But then he's also doing a little bit of kind of showing me some goofiness, but like making it work. It was honestly, you know what it is. And thanks a lot for this one, Joseph, you're getting me on this diatribe. Um, it's okay. The, the Trevor Lee, the Trevor Lee year, the year when I had Trevor Lee wrestler of the year. Um, yes. I talked about the AAW comedy work as being a big boon to his case for me while other people shit on it and were like, it's bullshit. I want to, I'd rather just see him doing the, the great wrestling stuff. And that's kind of what it is. Like when you do some Gaga and some character bullshit in there too, and you're good at it, that ad, that just adds to the case to me. I appreciate it. And I don't go like, Oh, I just want you only doing serious stuff. So that's kind of like, that's it just popped in my head. Now I'm like, okay, this Adam Priest shit is getting serious, man. This guy Roll is- tide, uh, baby! Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never but, not going to uh, enjoy saying that. I have committed it's, to not it's, understanding its context. Here's the thing. It's a fun thing to say. And I'm from Southern California. So like the context of what it means doesn't mean jack shit to me either. And I agree with you. It's a cool thing to say. It sounds cool. Nothing. But I do know that it's actually not cool. Or maybe it is. I don't even know, really. Uh, just to jump on your point about versatility yeah um you mentioned that it was like trevor lee who kind of codified that for you or kind of put it into focus for you for me it's kind of um it's part of why i think junakiyama is one of the greatest of all time like this last ddt run where he's doing a bunch of comedy bullshit and still doing all of the um high-end heavyweight stuff like i think it's the same kind of thing so i'm definitely with you that you want to see wrestlers who are capable of like doing stuff all across the board all across the spectrum it really speaks to their talent and their ability to change things up well and it's also nice to see somebody um who's really good at wrestling be able to do that kind of stuff because it it at least makes me be able to believe that they're not like a complete psychopath like chris benoit (laughs) you know (laughs) like if you can't (laughs) 
make it a little bit of a joke and have it stuff be funny and just show me that you're not like just completely like an like, or even a little bit like the Davy Richards thing like you know like I forget that it's not real like you know what I mean like I want to see sure. that like you you're having fun too and that this isn't like you know some other weird fucking thing dynamite kid there's a lot of comparisons where you talk about guys who it's just like you take the shit too seriously in a way that's like just it it really kills it for me that it's right. not like fun also it's not fun i want you to know that wrestling is also fun um talked about kevin ku there a little bit talking about like the 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 layer and the storytelling and, and and adam priest and these guys who are standing out for being um the storytellers and uh, how a lot of that is missing um and this will play in a little bit to when we talk about Forbidden Door, so we might as well, you know, get into the review of that. But Kenny Omega recently did an interview, and he talked about I how the saw. guys, the guys nowadays, uh, are doing too many spots, and they don't know how to tell stories in their match. Uh, Kenny's come a long way from from back when uh, people were wondering if he knew how to do basic wrestling moves. Um, you know, I, I don't even want to say the person's name at this point because um, they're a piece of shit. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's just an Easter egg for people who remember uh, to now being Kenny is the old man saying that the kids don't know how to work. Um, and it is, it will play into the forbidden door thing because to me, forbidden door reminded me of a particular era of WWE where all of the pay-per-views were very good to watch but there was no build. And at the end of them, it didn't really feel like anything important happened. Um, and it is like, did they hack? Wrestling has hacked the star rating model. Wrestling has hacked how to physically deliver good matches in ring by just having all good wrestlers. Mm -hmm. But uh, we need good workers. And when you see stuff like Koo and Adam Priest and JD Drake and, and Anthony Henry and Daniel Makabe, the guys who are good workers... And how those are the guys who me and you and more people are starting to notice more and more and go gaga less and less for the, you know, the people who are athletically very gifted. Um, like, do you think that is because of that? Is it always a counter? Is it always like what we're looking for is the opposite? Like when the mainstream wrestling is just is able to deliver in ring athletically, we want stories. And if, you know, if the mainstream is delivering stories, we want athletics because there was a time when Sabu was the biggest star in the Indies because he did table spots. Because on mainstream wrestling, everyone was doing storytelling and they weren't doing moves, you know, like these things do ebb and flow. So what do you what do you think about Kenny Omega pointing that out and kind of signaling to to the paradigm? Kenny Omega, I've said it before, like very smart. I've uh, never made this comparison before, but I will say that I've talked about how uh, Kanye West is like a prophet who sees the world through God's eyes. I think he's a, a uniquely special artist who can perceive things in a way that others can't. Um, I think Kenny Omega, when it comes to wrestling, I've talked about him being the modern, er, you know, the gifable, the, the king and the original gifable wrestler, the guy who saw the future. Is Kenny Omega predicting the future, the way things are already going, but not just where they're going on the underground, but where they're going in the mainstream? That's really interesting. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not really sure how that particular dynamic works, you know, between the mainstream and kind of the indie scene, the alternative scene. Um, I, found, I found the Kenny Omega quote uh, really interesting. I thought it was ironic for all the reasons you mentioned that he always got those kind of criticisms for ages now that like he's a spot fest guy, he's only doing moves and stuff. And at least from like an intention standpoint, from what like, from what I understand Kenny wanted to do in the ring, um, that's 
generally not been the case, at least in the last few years. Like, even uh, in spite of how I feel the matches turned out, it's clear that Kenny puts a lot of thought into these things. He really does care about, like, conveying a particular story. Um, as for how, like, the tides will turn in the mainstream, I don't know. I guess it, I think it's a matter of the talent involved. Like, we're sort of seeing AEW kind of trying to tap into all these different eras of quote-unquote good wrestling. Like, they're trying to take pieces from, like, the last two or three decades of prestige wrestling and just putting it all on national TV. Like, they're drawing from the 2000 Indies. They're drawing from 2010's PWG. Obviously, the connection with New Japan. They're trying to have some of that Bushi Road connection. And I think... Um, I think that's part of like the, what makes them so effective to so many fans is that they are drawing from all these historically critically acclaimed sources, and usually it works, especially if they're like drawing from the particular tradition that you've enjoyed as a fan. Um, but yeah, I do think Forbidden Door had its problems, and I wouldn't say that mainstream wrestling right now is necessarily moving towards that just moves we're just gonna have good matches to like compensate for either poor storytelling or lack of psychology or whatever it may be um i think it's much more of an individual thing like there are clearly workers who care about that aspect of the work a lot more than others um and from the vibe i've gotten AEW is just kind of um a very creatively free promotion, generally speaking. So a lot of these guys are basically working the kinds of matches that they want to work. So I think it comes down on a much more individual level uh, in terms of that particular aspect that you asked about. Sure, sure. There was a lot there. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, delving into it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I, I definitely have a problem sometimes with doing like uh, run on setups and run on uh, questions that end up <laughs> like 17 different points by the end of it. But uh, I think you hit everything there. And I think I may have gone a little overboard, you know, got caught up in the moment there. Um, again, that's it a, happens. A it's the magic of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. But I think it is true. And I definitely stick with what I said about Kenny. I've said this for a very long time, but I think that Kenny is a guy who is, he's predicted the future multiple times on what's going to become hot and then rode the vanguard of that into the mainstream to the point where he became one of the biggest stars in all of wrestling. So big of a star that like AEW, we've talked about it in the past on here in depth about how AEW doesn't exist without the Bucks. But like AEW doesn't exist without Kenny also, you know, and he really rode the wave of always really being able to, you know, they say like, yeah, like the, the, the really important figures in history, they don't, uh, they don't model, you know, culture after themselves. They, they follow it. They ride the wave of culture. And Kenny has done that multiple times. Um, so I just think, I think he's, it is very easy to, to, you know, write this off. Oh, this is just a gimmick. This is just a quote to start to build a feud with Osprey. Um, but at the same time, I just think that Kenny, like there's always a little bit of truth in there and there's a little bit of like, he knows what he's doing. Um, and I just think he sees something there that I think I also see part of it. I'll say you talked about it. AEW is there's freedom. People can do what they want, but you look at the card and you look at the people who are not just pushed heavily, but the people who are the most popular with the fans 
And the people who stand out are Orange Cassidy, who people can say he's a comedy wrestler, but if you ask me, he is a psychology wrestler. His, we'll talk about it on the match on this show, but his match is all about telling a story. Um, you can say whatever you want about it if it's a joke and this and that. FTR, you know, these are like the top three acts in the company: Orange Cassidy, FTR, and Moxley. And all three are all about telling stories in their matches and emotion and playing and working the crowds. And they're less and less about moves and spots and all of that stuff. So I just think like, uh, yeah, you can see it in AEW that like the, the people, the, the ones that are building and the, and the stuff that people want to pay attention to are the guys who do kind of the deeper work. All right. So I guess we should get into Forbidden Door. The reason why we're here. Did you watch the buy-in? I did. I watched everything, the whole thing. Oh, wow. This is the first time. Ever that the co-host no um what's funny is I actually told Quentin to watch the buy-in this time um did he skip it <laughs> no he watched it he watched okay well, who knows maybe he skipped it but he would have watched it he said he sure. was going to but every time he doesn't watch it and the first time he was ever going to now he's not here and I ask you and you're like of course I watched it yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> we got you I got your I got my eye on you um uh opens up the factory QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. Uh, is he still Mr. Bailey? Are they still an item? I don't know. Uh, hopefully. Um, versus uh, it's chaos. It's what is it? Bish Bishamon. Um, there was a Japanese name that Excalibur was throwing around and I had no yeah. idea it even existed. So, yeah, they have a name for this team. It's so it's like fucking Goto, man. Every tag team that Goto's in, except for the uh, Anderson, you know, the, the machine gun Carl Anderson team, which I think is like um, sword and gun sword and gun which is very easy all of his other tag teams have like weird fucking names uh like the shibata tag team is like a miu tag um yeah. right yeah. yeah 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 this one is like bishamon um but uh, either way it's chaos yoshihashi hiroki goto um i listened <laughs> i listened to the super j cast i shouldn't have um, so I just got to ask you, Quentin, because this was reported on the Super J cast. Uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. I did it again. Um, do you think that Joshi Hashi had a boner here? Uh, God damn it. I don't even. Ugh. Either way. Um, what did you think I did, of this? I did not notice that particular thing about Yoshihashi here. Uh, um, yeah, I sh again, I should not. You know, maybe, he got, maybe he got one for being over again for the first time in forever. Like, I'm sure that'll do something to a person. Uh, I thought this was fine. I like, I like QT Marshall in this role. I think he's a wonderful jobber. He's always, he bumps really well. He can base for pretty much anyone. And, you know, this was fine. You know, it's just an excuse to get Goto and Yoshihashi on the card. And it wasn't offensive. It just sort of happened. Yeah. Um, QT Marshall kind of rocks. I love the guy. Um, his uh, Space Flying Tiger drop or Sasuke special that he does here. I don't remember which one. Um, it's just like, I love it because it's just, it, it's so good for this weird looking guy with the body that he has. And, you know, and he's just like a trainer. He's the coach and he does it. it he does it and he executes it, but there's like no flash to it. There's no, he just does it. Like it's, it's fucking awesome. Um, Aaron Solo, obviously been a fan of his for a while. Uh, it's so, I'm happy that he's here. I'm happy that he's got the spot, but it's just crazy to me because there was a time you know, maybe not to me, but there was a time that I remember where there was the extra talented team 
And there were people who legitimately thought Aaron Solo was the one who would break out and do something out of the tag team, um, which I don't know if you recall, but that was Aaron Solo and uh, Ricky Starks. Oh, uh, wow. Was a, I don't think I was, was around time. for that. Yeah, there was a time when Aaron Solo and Ricky Starks were tagging that people thought Aaron Solo is, was is younger. Um, Aaron Solo had some buzz and people thought like, you know, they were in a tag team and it was like, you know, like the Kyle Fish, Bobby, uh, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly tag team where it's like the old man is just there and then the younger guy is going to do something eventually. Um, obviously weird to even think about. Um, but yeah, and now this is where he's at. Good, good, good for him. I like him. Either way, tag team match was, was fine. Great way to open up the show. People were insanely hot. The crowd was fucking nuts and it was a good sign that they were nuts here and that they stayed crazy all night. Lance Archer, Nick Camarado. Okay. I have heard enough and seen enough of people questioning why Nick Camarado was on this fucking show. People are out to fucking lunch. People have no clue what they're talking about. I'm sorry. Why would you not want to see Mr. Freak Beast on the pay-per-view buy-in show? He looks nuts. He's awesome into the spot here. Like, who else is going to base for a giant-ass Lance Archer, but they can also get their ass kicked and just lose? And also, Nick Camarado, a lot of people may not realize this because he looks like he's fucking... He kind of looks like somewhere in between, like, Rick Rude and Ultimate Warrior. Like, he's basically at that level, and you could throw in some uh, some uh, Kerry Von Erich for the crazy curly hair. Like, the guy is fucking... Has this insane, awesome physique, and people overlook the fact that, like, he's a solid wrestler as well. Um, so, yeah, like, definitely deserves to be on the card. Lance Archer looked fucking awesome here. Just whooping ass coming through it's crazy people are like excited people are into it i thought it was cool but i don't know if this lance archer right now is going to be able to hang through an entire long ass summer g1 and then as i'm in the middle of saying this i i realize he's got five matches the g1 this year with the way the blocks are set up he doesn't have to wrestle 10 matches over a long summer so he'll be fine but uh but yeah what did you think I basically I'm with you on this. Um, I'm not like a huge Nick Camarado fan, but when I do see him, I think he's pretty good for the role that he's in. Um, Lance Archer, I'm hot and cold on, but you know, there's not really much time to do anything particularly dumb or bad in a match like this. He just kind of showed up and did his usual stuff, hit all the right beats, and they were in and out. Not not bad in my book. Yeah. No. Uh, this next match, I'm hearing people absolutely adored this one. Uh, Swerve in Our Glory, which I hate that name, especially because I heard that after I heard the better name, which is Strict Lee. Um, I just, mm. either way, against Suzuki Goon, um, two of the, maybe more and more people are realizing this, more and more people are saying these are actually two of the best wrestlers in New Japan. Uh, more and more people are noticing this, but the Suzuki Gutune of El Desperado and uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, um Joseph, what did you think? I thought that was great. Like, I think this was like the first, like, if I have to like go back and think about it, probably like the first great match on any of these AEW buy-ins. I guess you could say stat uh Layla maybe if you're a particularly yeah, really big fan that, of that but, but this was yeah I, I figured you might go with that one but for me this was the first one that was like just simply great um yeah it's just everything I kind of want in a tag team match especially in this particular place in the card you know um 
uh, Swerve and Keith Lee just kind of thrashing the heels for a bit, but they, you know, do something dastardly. They start going for the leg and picking each guy apart bit by bit. And there's some, like, there's some really crazy bumps and spots here. Like, uh, Despy setting up uh, Swerve by, like, uh, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Despy who was, like, strung up by the bottom rope. Like, yes. just kind of hanging from the apron so that Swerve yeah. could, like, double stomp him. That was insane. Um, I just really like this match. I'm a big uh, proponent of tag team wrestling is kind of, like, just by default, just a little, a little better, a little easier to do than singles wrestling. Like, I just think there's more there. So this, like, really played to all the strengths of what a tag team match should be and they all delivered and i'm absolutely with you that uh despi and kanemaru are just like an incredibly solid and good tag team like they know what they're doing in this particular kind of thing and they brought that here and i thought it was really great yeah phenomenal stuff the 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 rope that that spot okay so despi like catches his feet on the middle rope and is hanging over to the apron so that swerve can do the double stomp and Seeing that spot and the way that it was set up and how nuts it was, it's just like, you know what crossed my mind is we had a decade. We've had two decades of the fucking bullshit, low-key, tree of woe double stomp and it always looking contrived and stupid and very rarely being pulled off properly. Um, And then instantly, Despy, the guy who I constantly praise for how smart he is and how much he's constantly thinking up ideas and ways to do things he comes up with the best possible way to fucking make it look make it come across like it was it's kind of random but it like looks really cool it makes sense like holy shit we've had 20 years of this fucking move and this guy because of how just ingenious he is at coming up with how to get into stuff and his unique way of of planning out matches and spots he comes up with something like this that i've never seen before I was yeah, just like, this such, is phenomenal. It's such a great visual. Um, it's the kind of spot that just kind of sticks with you. And especially on a show where there's so much happening. And that's like one of the top like moments just visually where it'll stand out. And you were talking about the Loki uh, setup where you're in like in the Tree of Woe in the corner. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, just like a couple days before Forbidden Door... Andrade also had a really excellent setup for like the double stomp off the top. And what he did was that he just kind of like him and Ray Phoenix were both on the top turnbuckle doing the standard, like just fighting for position things. And Andrade just gave him a double leg takedown, like just hoofed him into place. And I thought that looked awesome. So uh, yeah, yeah, just two variations on a spot we've seen a million times and making it look uh, cool and new and fresh yeah and yeah making it just look a little bit better yeah perfect um yeah either way there's uh, there's more but whatever let's move on um max caster and the gun club taking on uh the young lions team um i've i've heard the, again this is like why i shouldn't be reviewing something this this far after the event i've heard enough people kind of going over the top with this and having issues with like the young lion team losing four to two because of the other two taking off or whatever and how it made them look so bad and i'm just like i'm sorry but like the acclaimed and, and the gun club 
are presented as something and these young lions even if like some a couple of them have actually kind of like moved away from young lion at this point um are just being positioned as young lions like they didn't need to be protected in any way and they weren't uh so yeah that said i mean the match was good max caster and and billy gunn as a tag team is really awesome um just them too and billy gunn like phenomenal hot tags still to this day that was but i mean that's what he always did in the new age outlaws and it's not shocking that he can continue to do it um i heard people talk about oh his old finishers he, he busted out some of his old finishers including the um the sleeper kind of slam thing and people didn't remember that was the one and only um because that was the finishing move of the one billy gun um so yeah <laughs> good match um but yeah uh, what did you think I thought it was all right. You know, I, I for me, it was probably the worst match on the buy-in. Um, you know, there's Danhausen stuff, which I, I didn't hate it. Um, I thought I actually thought the song that Danhausen played was like, it, it slapped. Like, I'm not going to lie. The, the Ass Boys theme was really good. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I would go out of my way to listen to that. Uh, I thought it was catchy. Um, and then after that, you know, the match was kind of just over in the blink of an eye. So it was in and out. It, it, it was it was whatever. Like, I wasn't personally offended that this particular team of Young Lions lost. It didn't really matter to me. It just kind of happened too fast for anything to really sink in. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, I would say I have to agree with you. Um, or I did agree with you before that. Um, all right. Then we get to the main show proper. Um, and this is a uh, trios match, right? Yeah, trios match set up. I feel like there was plenty of build here, but too like I don't know. It wasn't meant to be super important, but it opens up the show hot. You've got Minoru Suzuki and the Jericho Appreciation Society, Eddie Kingston, Shota Amino, and Wheeler Yuta. Um, kind of like this weird amalgamation of of uh, the the um. Blackpool Combat Society. I was going to say British Strong Style. Jesus Christ. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I know. I know. But, you know, it's it's uh, BSS and BCC or whatever. Um, uh, but uh, either way, Joseph, what uh, what did you think about this? It was good. I really liked this opener. I thought it was a strong opener. It's exactly what you want. Um, I didn't think there was much suspense as far as the result. Was going on. I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot, revealing that this was for the man advantage in blood and guts. And when you do that, obviously the heels have to win. Um, but yeah, I thought this was great. I thought Shota Umino uh, really got himself over with the Chicago crowd. That was a really fun finishing stretch with Jericho, where he was able to kind of show himself off, you know, uh, get everyone behind him. I liked that he was able to survive the first uh, baseball bat shot. Uh, before he was finally put away and yeah this was just really good like everyone involved is capable everyone is uh talented enough to have like a really hot pay-per-view opener and eddie kingston minoru suzuki they had a nice little interaction where suzuki was just like i don't care about your kobashi chops i've wrestled kobashi just don't don't come at me with this uh just a lot of fun uh really good tag match yeah yeah, definitely. Uh, really solid. Jericho, I know I know that in our circles, you know, our direct circles, right, the infamous Slack chat, like Jericho is a guy who gets a lot of derision. But it's hard for me not to really, really appreciate 
not just everything that he's already done, but the stuff that he's continuing to do. Um, even if I don't love it all the time and love his performances, but like he really, uh, he speaks to a large swash swath of the fan base that I can't just write off, you know, like it might not be for me. I don't love it, whatever. And like, I've, I've, I've been, I've really had the same feeling for Jericho, like for a very long time, like Jericho and ECW, even Jericho and WCW, like, like I appreciate what he's doing. It's not always for me, but the motherfucker always gets over and he kicked ass here, made Shota look amazing playing off the history with Shota. It's like, that's the part that I appreciate. Like he's always thinking about stuff. Like Jericho is a fan of wrestling. God damn. Like, this episode does not need to have another Chris Benoit reference, but like Jericho, <laughs> Jericho loves wrestling so much that he is not willing to just say that he's not like that. He's not still friends with Chris Benoit. Like that's the thing about Jericho. Like every other motherfucker doesn't talk about him anymore, but like Jericho refuses to let it go. And that's how much Jericho loves wrestling. Because Chris, because Benoit was so good at wrestling that he can't stop talking about his friend who died uh, in a terrible way because he was <laughs> such a good wrestler. Like he cannot drop it. And that's the thing. Like I, I can't, this sounds fucking crazy to even be saying, but like, I can't like write the guy off because he fucking loves wrestling so much. It's nuts. Um. So yeah, like, he doesn't just go like, ah, whatever, we're doing this thing. He's like, no, you know what? I fucked with this guy's dad. I might as well do something with this. Why wouldn't like it make sense that I continue on with this story? It, honestly- oh, yeah, it all fits in this particular match. And, you know, Chris Jericho is having a really good year. Like, I've done my fair share of Chris Jericho criticism. I think that's an understatement. But, you know, when he's having a good year, the dude is on. Like, there have been three AEW pay-per-views this year. Uh unless I'm miscounting that. And he's had really good to great matches on all of them. So you can't argue with the results with the output. Yeah. And honestly, I completely forgot about your video, but maybe he saw the video and that's why he's turned it up lately. Um, <laughs> You're not the first person right to say that. Yeah, and I know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I would never assume anything, but my personal guess is that he at least knows it exists. Like, sure. I'm fairly certain that he's at least aware that it, it exists. I would never say that he sat down and clicked and watched it or whatever. Sure. But, you know, like I said, the, I, the dude's I having a great year. Like I said, I know this motherfucker loves wrestling as much as he does. I know, I remember this, he was driving back from a, like a tour in the Southwest back to like New York or whatever. Um, and he was on the phone recording a podcast with Conan. This was years and years ago um, when Conan had a podcast on the MLW podcast network um, before he did the, the, the podcast with whatever, like the keeping it 100 or whatever. Um, and Chris Jericho was like on this long ride, you know, tour back home. And, you know, th- he had a tour bus and all this stuff back then, but he was like choosing to stay on the phone and talk for like three hours with Conan about wrestling and shit. So like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if this motherfucker's like sitting around watching rest videos about wrestling, especially when it's about himself, um, you know, at this point. But uh, yeah, the guy loves it. The guy's into it. And as I said, he's like trying to 
make more out of everything. He's paying attention to every little detail. Like I said, I completely forgot about your video. So I, I was, I forgot who I was talking to midway through there as I'm doing the Jericho appreciation society um, for the night. Um, there was another thought that I had there for a second, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to drop it and we're going to move on. It doesn't really matter. It's into the ether, but I swear to God, it was like gold and people would have really appreciated it, but <laughs> I believe you. I, I'm sure that's it life. was life. You know, that happens. Uh, follow that up. IWGP, uh, IWGP tag team and ROH tag team title match. Rapungi Vice, for some reason, the um, <laughs> United Empire and FTR. This match absolutely fucking rocked. Um, I, I'm of two minds in a weird way about it, or not really. Like... I have a natural inclination to kind of have some weird little nitpicks to it, but I think that they did such a great job of pulling everything off that it's almost impossible for me to like really stand behind the issues. Um, I thought that they did a phenomenal job playing with the, the, the trios nature of this or the three-way nature of this by doing the spirit of 76 spot. Um, I honestly thought that they did it too fast though. I thought that they not like they, they obviously you have to do it early on in the match to make it work, you know, really. But I thought that um, cash was it cash. No Dax, Dax, the X uh, came back too quick. I thought that he was back too quick and then he did too much afterwards, but that said, I mean, it still really worked, but yeah, I thought that, that was a great way to, to fuck and subvert the three-way nature of this. And then that said, like the, the tag team match itself, um, as it like got going without Dax involved, I thought was phenomenal. Uh, Rocky, Trent, everyone, everyone in here was great. Like, I there's not a single wrestler in here that I don't think is great. And they, all the spots they hit were phenomenal. Rapungi Vice hitting like all of their crazy double teams reminded me of like the the Evolve um, tag team title tournament. And like how crazy good they were throughout that, where it was just like, holy shit, these guys are so good. Like, I, you know, you don't realize how good they are until they're in that kind of setting. Um, just the stuff that they do, like Trent, such a weird, such a such a weird person in general. Obviously, a really sh a real shit bag. Um, it's you know everyone agrees on that, but uh, but like his positioning and just how good of a wrestler he really is, and just weird awkwardness that he has, like feels like a guy who's like ends up in the right places is a good hang. Everybody knows who he is, but super talented, but just doesn't have the personality to ever be a superstar of wrestling. But like through being a good hang and being really talented, just like has always like, like kind of scraped around on the edges of superstardom. Um, yeah. But uh, loved it. Loved the setup. Loved where everything goes. Talked myself into like either any tag team winning, really any of the teams winning, except for obviously Rapungi Vice was like a real stretch, but really thought anything could happen here, but FTR winning here. And then this set me up into really buying into something that had crossed my mind um, before this started happening was like when FTR was building up and becoming like tag team or whatever. And then Adam page was the champion before he lost the, the, the title to punk. Like, FTR and Adam Page as a trios, as a group, makes so much more sense. They fit together. They've got the, you know, the kind of cowboy motif. 
that whole vibe and then like their style of wrestling the whole thing i was like that would be a really great trios and then for some reason like punk and them became like buddies through just being fans of bret hart or whatever and i got myself thought in like worked up into like um i was gonna say thought it into r.i.p to stav uh leaving come town um but uh i got myself worked up into thinking that ftr wins the tag team titles hangman page wins the iwgp world heavyweight title and then the three of them as a unit in new japan would be great um obviously that didn't come to pass but uh joseph what did you think of the match i thought it was really good um i just enjoyed the match uh i just thought it was really good i didn't think it, it got to great but also i was just incredibly distracted the whole time like you could say I got worked, whatever, like with the injury bug that's been going around and how well Dax was selling the arm or was actually hurt or whatever it may be, like j just through th that entire heat segment on cash in my head, I was just thinking, oh my God, another top level res wrestler of the year candidate just got hurt. Um, how are they going <laughs> to fix the layout of this match in the middle? Are they going to call an audible? Like, I just kept thinking of like completely like backstage meta stuff that just threw me entirely out of the picture. Um, and you could say that, you know, that might be a particular flaw on their part, like choosing to do, if it was a choice, you know, choosing to do this kind of angle, uh, around this particular card where so much has happened around injuries and health and stuff. But even through all of that, I I thought it was really good. FDR's at the point where they can really sort of do no wrong for me. Like I haven't seen a bad FTR match this year. And um every time I see them, it's just like, wow, that that's those are the guys. Those are the top guys. Like it's not just a thing they say. Um they wrestle like it every time they go out there. They really wrestle like they have nothing to lose like they tapped into that kind of confidence where they know they just cannot be fucked with right now yeah that's a, a great way to describe them is uh, unfuck with the ball right now um and it's it's working out for them again it goes back to what i always say wrestlers are at their best when they don't give a shit these guys are not they're not scared they don't care they're out here to just be great do what they want to do and it's absolutely owning um, I do wish Quentin was here so he could continue his victory laps um, on all the stuff that he talked about, how FTR, as soon as they were in front of crowds and soon as they were in front of big crowds and getting the reactions that they deserved in big places, that they would be just as good as they ever were. Um, and honestly, not only would he be right, um, I would say that they've better than they've ever been right now. Um, Absolutely. I think this is pretty easily the peak of their respective careers. And I think they both know it, too. Like, I think they're really living up to the kind of reputation they've been developing in the last few months. Well, and it's interesting because I've heard I heard a little scuttlebutt in the past where it was like, um, you know, they they're wanting to give them some big stuff because their contracts are coming up to make them happy to keep them around. But this is like contract year in in real sports, too, where they're like they're not just doing this, but they're also like proving themselves so it's not just oh let's make them happy you're also giving them so much and and they're proving themselves that they're going to make themselves seem more valuable to other companies as well so it's not necessarily just a way to keep them around it's like also going to make them even more expensive and, and up their value to where yeah like 
I'm sorry, but any other wrestling company that has any money to throw around, if they see what they're doing, they're going to offer them big bucks on their contract. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, it just makes sense. Uh, okay, follow this up. Jay White and Juice Robinson promo in the back. Um, Juice is ridiculous and and just what the fuck. Jay, like in comparison, I thought Jay was really good on the promo here, and I've never been like a huge Jay White promo fan. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. No, Jay's really good. Like when he was doing his impact spots last year, I was like, wow, this guy just kind of belongs on TV wrestling. And so I have no surprises uh, seeing that he did a really good promo, uh, even like just a short one to set up the match later on. I just think that Jay's a wonderful all-rounder and he really has a mind for like the character work side of professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, talking about like hacking the system, you know, doing the, doing the wrestling, doing the, the, the physical spots and hitting the points to get the stars. Um, this four-way match, I watched it a couple times and nothing, nothing really sunk in for me, but I'm, people are loving it. People were going gaga for it in the building. I thought it had some cool spots here and there. Um, but it just didn't speak to me, but Joseph, what did you think? No, I'm, I'm with you. I thought it was good, but, uh, I thought it was the worst match to that point in the card, which is not to say it was bad, but it you're right, nothing nothing really gelled together as a whole. They never really clicked on the next level. It was just a good match. What do you think about the people who are going crazy about this as like a star making performance for, for Clark Connors and like everyone knows who he was coming out of it? Now, maybe it's different for me and you because we came into this knowing who he was, right? Right. But like I'm hearing people with that take and it just seems kind of crazy to me. What do you think? It, it just feels weird, you know, like, um, especially on this card, we already had that Shota Umino performance earlier in the night, which felt like much, much bigger deal. Um, like this match wasn't really structured to like make Clark look like uh, this super big deal, can't miss prospect or anything. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Um, I guess people were just kind of surprised that the match came together as well as it did, given the last-minute nature of it. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it was a particularly huge moment for Clark Connors or anything. Yeah, Clark Connors is a weird one for me in the way that people were talking about him and the way that like this all came together here and the response to it, because it's this happens every now and then, where something just seems like completely normal and i uh, like so much so that i take it for granted and i tweet stuff that's like something stupid like i did on this where i was like why would i take clark connor seriously in this match when he was the loser and he couldn't even beat someone who was injured so bad that they had to pull out of the match right like you know <laughs> like and obviously this is in kayfabe and i know that clark connors is actually a great wrestler and the response that i got from people was like yeah well clark connors is gonna kick ass and he's a good wrestler and this and that and i'm like Wait, is Clark Connors talking like, about? Yeah, is Clark Connors this weird underdog that like people are rooting for and no one like? I'm sorry, everyone knows who the fuck he is, right? And then I come to find out as I hear more and more people talk about it, I'm like, oh shit, nobody knows who the fuck Clark Connors is. And these things happen to me every now and then where I'm just like, oh my god, like it's crazy. Like shout out to Sam, you know, grand grandpappy of the podcast network, um, for the hardcore, hardcore, casual, casual alignment that he came up with a long time ago. Um, <laughs> when I hear, when I interact with people who are like casual hardcores or whatever, like I'm always like, 
how do you exist? <laughs> like how how like how do you know about all this stuff and you follow AEW and you follow like New Japan and all, but you don't know who the fuck Clark Connors is. But it's true that like this, there'll just be these weird pockets where it doesn't make any sense to me, but people don't know who Clark Connors is. So yeah, I guess a lot of people coming into here had no idea who he was. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that that was odd. Either way, follow this up. Dudes with attitudes, <laughs> Darby Allen, Sting, and Shingo Takagi. Uh, what the fuck is this tag team? Um, versus the Bullet Club of the Young Bucks and El Fantasmo. Um, this was another one that was kind of weird. People like having this revelation that El Fantasmo is like fits right in with the Young Bucks, and I'm like, how did you guys not know that El Fantasmo has been doing about 15 years of Young Bucks parody? <laughs> El Fantasma has been a Young Bucks parody guy for as long as I've known that he's existed. Um, and you guys are just now seeing this. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. What the fuck? Um, the match ruled, obviously. It was interesting. It had like an insane, crazy open with the, the stuff in the rafters and all that and Sting doing the dive. Then it like <laughs> it did the, the world famous. It breaks down into a, a regular tag team match. Um, where people are following the rules <laughs> yeah you always you love to see it um and then uh and then it goes off it goes crazy again with sting fucking you know doing insane dives off of the bleachers and and um just insane nuts like you know but you know it was fun this was fun it was a lot of craziness nobody in this match really needed to get over everyone's pretty established you know especially sting so you didn't really need to do much more than what you did here. Fun, easy to watch, breeze through. But like, you know, in live in the moment, I bet like everyone's having a great time. Everything's really good. But you look at like a big card like this and and uh, and stuff goes by smooth. And this is like it doesn't this match doesn't really need to happen. Right. For sure. But uh, but it's cool that it did. You know, it's one of those. But yeah, Joseph, what are your thoughts? No, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, Probably. My favorite LP match in like a couple years since like whenever the Rocky Romero BOSJ one was. Um, I didn't think it was great, but I thought Sting rules, you know, like I think we can all generally be in agreement of that. Like Sting just see, it's good to come into this match, even if you do have problems with the Young Bucks and LP, because Sting just went out there and just completely no sold <laughs> everything and just completely thrashed them. So there's a little something in here for everybody. I thought, I just thought it worked. It was incredibly breezy. Uh, Sting was the star of the show for me in terms of just getting these massive reactions from the crowd and, you know, like well-deserved as well. Like Sting is just a guy who's always gotten it, always known how to connect with the crowd. And yeah, I think uh, it all worked. It all worked. It's funny that Sting now is ballot stuffing and proving his, you know, Hall of Famer case now that he's already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like that's the great part about this whole run with Sting is like I know he's still years. building. Yeah, he's still building the case. But there was years of people like, "Ah, oh, I don't know, he's not quite there. He doesn't quite have it. He's not that." And then now like, you know, if you believe that Punk is building this Hall of Fame case right now, I mean, Sting is building the Hall of Fame case, but he got in finally. So, you know, whatever. Um, either way, follow this up. 
a match that I predicted could have stolen the show, but that was on the most bearish of predictions for the show where I was kind of thinking this show might end up sucking and this match might end up being a saving grace on a bad show. Um, that said, it ended up probably delivering about what I expected, but because the rest of the show ended up delivering way more than I did, um, it ends up more somewhere in the middle of the pack, um, maybe upper middle. Um, but Joseph, what did you think? Thunder Rosa, Tony Storm, AEW Women's Championship. Uh, yeah, I didn't really like this match all that much. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was fine. I thought it started really well. I've been enjoying Tony Storm's work since she came to AEW. I think she's been having pretty good matches on weekly TV, but I'm not particularly high on Thunder Rosa's uh, women's title reign. Um, yeah, something about Thunder Rosa just hasn't been clicking recently, and I feel like the longer her matches go on, the more they kind of tend to fall apart a little bit, and that's what happened here for me, where I was really enjoying the opening moments and uh, things just kind of fell apart towards the end. Um, it never got like horrible or anything, but it, it was just kind of there. Yeah, um, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. Like I said, I maybe I enjoyed it a little bit more than you, but still wouldn't say that I thought it was great. Um, that said, I think Thunder Rosa, I've said it multiple times at this point, Thunder Rosa is like a small room wrestler. She's book, She's building her matches the same as she ever did, but the, the, the difference is there that in a smaller setting with people up close, they get into it, they buy into it more, and by the end, the stuff is hitting more. Um, what's happening here is that stuff is sinking and then the air is getting let out of the balloon more and more, and then by the end, when you're hoping that everyone's invested in everything and they're not, um, and you just keep going with the flow of what you, you know, what you were hoping for, um, it doesn't work. She needs to do a better job of calling an audible throughout the match, doing things to liven things up to get the crowd back into it when she's losing them, but she doesn't. She sticks with the plan. That said, I mean, teasing the stuff with Dustin, um, using hopefully using the Dustin connection there to build up some kind of rivalry with... Um, Oh God, why can't I think of her name? Serena, Serena Deeb. Um, and going back to that, but having some heated, a little bit more heated and emotional kind of connection there with them both being connected through Dustin, but then hating each other um, and competing for his, you know, uh, his affection, his, his attentions, I think could actually bring something here. But unfortunately, I think that you're not alone and that there's a lot of people who are probably now at the point where I, after this match, they're writing off the Thunder Rosa title reign and they're ready to move on. And we're just starting to get cooking where I think that we could start actually doing something. But unfortunately, I think it's probably too late. Um, and they would have been better off cutting bait here and switching the title to, to Tony and possibly getting back to it later. Um, that said, I, I, like I said, I still think I enjoyed this match more than you. Um, but they definitely, again, we're kind of going through the motions and we're just like, we've got our story planned and we're not listening to the crowd and we're not giving them something to get them back into this. And they stuck with, you know, I thought the selling was great. There were some good bombs. There was some real executed spots. There were some hard counters. There were some near falls. But when the crowd's not buying into the stuff, you don't just keep going through with all of that. So unfortunately, that's kind of what happened there. Um, Follow that up. 
All right. Here it is. Maybe, maybe I will, uh, you know, say something controversial here. Match of the night for me, Will Ospreay, Orange Cassidy. Um, these two absolutely fucking killed it together. I um, I think that uh, plenty of people have talked about Orange Cassidy and how he's changed things up on TV, but like he even did it here. Like, you know, he got rid of the indie stuff and the stuff that's too cute. Like, he was didn't even do, like, the basic Orange Cassidy opening match stuff here, which I thought was really fucking smart. And, like, he skipped a lot of the opening stuff and went straight into the hands-in-the-pocket stuff, which I know is, like, kind of weird to even say that, but he, like, I thought that that was really cool to do that. You skip the opening, skip the slow start, get into the match, and then build deeper into the match. Um, which yeah, like maybe sounds a little bit counterintuitive, like go for a faster start, even if it wasn't like insanely fast so that you can then build more and go slower down the back end, you know, based on how much time they have in the setting. I thought was really smart. Orange Cassidy, obviously phenomenal seller, phenomenal bumper, the back work here, the back selling here over the top, insane Osprey most punchable asshole on the planet. Everything he does, you just fucking hate him. Cocky fucking prick. I mean, this is the first time that I've truly, truly loved a Will Ospreay match since, like, <laughs> I, I can't even say. Since, like, early progress, probably. Did like, you not like the Dax match? Not, I didn't truly love it, is what sure. I'll say. Enjoyed it, but it's been so hard it's been so hard for me to really love a will osprey performance in a match you know what i would say probably the riddle match the wrestlemania weekend osprey riddle match with the wow, fake that's injury going, in the beginning that's going back a ways that's probably the last time that i truly loved an osprey match this way where i was able to overlook all of the stupid osprey bullshit and just get into it and really really enjoy it and this was i fucking loved this um i will continue even if i don't necessarily agree with it gwe is coming up people keep talking about it um i'm just gonna say everybody who has will osprey on your ballot on the next gwe remember who was the only motherfucker to vote for him last time um joseph (laughs) what did you think about this match uh i don't think your take is as controversial as you think it is i think most a lot of people, a big chunk of people will have this as their match of the night. And I think they're entirely um, correct and valid to do so because I thought this was great. Um, I'm one of the people who has a lot of issues with Will Ospreay's performances and some of it shines through here. Like, I still don't love what he does in control. Like, he's not quite as brutal as I would like him to be like he put on all this size but he's still doing um high-flying offense that's a little more airy um when really he should just be like kind of flinging himself at people so you get that like smack um that meaty smack of him actually dropping his weight on people um but man when orange when orange Cassidy gets to cook he is he is something else like that beautiful um early evasion sequence where they're just kind of doing their 
uh, high flying spots around each other, evading each other, how well timed that was. And for all my issues with Osprey, he's a fantastic base. Uh, he's able to make all this offense look really good from Orange Cassidy. Um, and they didn't rely on that kind of stuff too. They built in all these little nice heel face moments. I loved the struggle on the top rope where uh, Cassidy bonked Osprey's head into the camera. I thought that was a really funny visual, but also worked. Like Osprey's kind of like limp, deadweight selling on the turnbuckle was like some of his better selling that I've ever seen. Um, and Cassidy's comebacks, man, they're just so good. Like I remember during the control, Osprey was doing Kawada kicks to Osprey's face, uh, to Cassidy's face, and then during the comeback. Cassidy did them to Osprey, and it looked like a million times better. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, it just kind of just just a small thing where I'm like that. That's how they're supposed to look. Just like really lay into it. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a great match. Um, I can't even complain all that much, even with all my issues with Will Osprey. I thought that, like, even on paper, looking at this card, I just thought it was a really natural fit. Like Cassidy does really well with these kind of um high flying guys uh he's also outsized in this match so that plays into all the standard stuff that he's used to doing as well and osprey's a fantastic base and cassidy has all this spectacular offense when he's on so yeah i think it was meant to deliver i thought it would and it definitely did yeah and probably not i was thinking about i was teasing in my mind that we'd get into um a little bit of dynamite blood and guts talk but i think probably at this point we've gone long enough on all this that there's no reason to get into it but i did want to mention here offhandedly um on the dynamite following this up you got orange cassidy he opens up the show um using his old his new old theme song basically um and just the way that cassidy is presented right now and i know that a lot of it has to do with a lot of people being out injured but he is positioned as a top act he draws top ratings he delivers top matches like Orange Cassidy, the fucking, you know, the guy that everyone didn't understand or did or overthought and thought they understood, but they didn't get all this stuff. He's too goofy. He's too indie. All this. He is one of the top five acts in the company. Um, For sure. The dude got a body slam over on Dynamite. And like the only other person who did that was CM Punk. Like, come on. Yeah, the guy is uh, insanely over, one of the top stars in the company. He took over the best friends and turned it into uh, turned it into the Orange Cassidy Club, basically. Um, and why why would he not have a phenomenal match with Will Ospreay? Why would people... There were people who were, like, not into this on paper, and it's, like, a fucking joke. I'm like, are, what are you talking about? How could you not be into this on paper? Like, yeah, Um I guess part of why I thought that it was a, 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 a controversial take is that the next match following this up, this is a match that I think on paper should have been a dream match, you know, match of the year, match of the whatever century, this and that. Um, and I liked it, but I don't know. You know, I just didn't love it as much as I was hoping for. But Joseph, what did you think? Zack Sabre Jr., Claudio Castagnoli. I think it was still pretty great. It generally delivered on the things I wanted from it. Um, obviously, the big talk was already that Claudio was going to be the guy, and I was just happy that they pushed through with the promise, 
like that kind of implied promise that everyone already had in their heads anyway. Uh, I like the hot start. Um, it's it's nice that Claudio burned the neutralizer early so that it could build to the return of the Ricola bomb at the end. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Joseph. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I heard too many dumbasses and too many people talk about this as if that was a finisher, that was a near-fall tease. Uh, oh my God, why would he go to the stupid bullshit WWE move so early and blah, blah. The point was that it didn't that he hit work. it and it didn't fucking work because so he this had to is go AEW. back. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Joseph. Continue. Well, I thought that was the most like transparently obvious thing. I didn't know there were know, people that's saying why it was otherwise. Driving me fucking crazy to hear people not get it. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's crazy to me. Um, this was not one of my favorite Zach performances of the year. I think he was much better in the New Japan Cup. Um, I don't know. He, 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 this has been a criticism lobbed at Zach since he got big, but uh, it just really felt like he couldn't find anything to focus on in this match. He kept switching up which limbs he was going to, and sometimes that's really effective in matches. I didn't think it worked that well here. Like You could tell Claudio really wanted to do some limb selling. He was kind of committing to it, but he didn't know which limb he was meant to be kind of focusing on because Zach wouldn't pick one. Um, but they still compensated with like a really like a lot of small fun details like Zach having that uh, leg lock late in the match and Claudio just kind of hitting his own knee so that he could kick Zach in the face. Like I've been watching a lot of old Chicago footage with like Fez and Vern and yeah. that just kind of triggered a thing in my head like wow like the people who get it really do get it where they're able to get so much out of like just laying on the mat in like a leg lock and they know how to struggle and work to get out of it and it felt good to see the Ricola bomb again like some people were saying like no one in the audience knew what it was but like as soon as Claudio like gripped Zach's hands you can like pretty audibly on the feed hear someone in the crowd just shout Ricola and it's like <laughs> people know like people understand these things and it works so I thought this was great um, at the time after watching the pay-per-view uh, it was probably my match of the night I think I have a different one now just in retrospect but I still thought it was quite great yeah um, yeah I mean of course the four-way was really good so we'll get to that next um, but yeah the, <laughs> this is also a Chicago crowd you know so you have to give that the Claudio for sure and these crowds know they know their stuff and Claudio is part of that CM Punk golden era time Absolutely. So they're going to know like the Ricola bomb thing. They're not going to know who Clark Connors is, but they're going to know the Ricola bomb. Oh, and also just yeah. kind of like, uh, just to sneak this in, I forgot to mention it. Like Claudio, just his presence and the way he was kind of presenting himself and interacting with the crowd. Oh man, dude felt like such a big deal. And he absolutely yeah. is. But I, I loved seeing that kind of connection, the way he tease moves, the way he'd kind of listen to the crowd and kind of guide them along on what was going to happen next. He's such a master. Uh, love the guy. Yeah. Claudio is a weird one because, yeah, like with how talented he is, how talented he's always been, um, he ended up incredibly high. I think I'm both definitely on mine, but I think also Quentin's like wrestlers of the 2010s list um, just for how good he really was. Um I think underappreciated and under 
like thought of for being how smart he is and how well he always carried himself. Um, just because I think he was overshadowed in the tag team with Chris Hero, um, kind of, you know, the the presentation that he got in WWE is like just never really being treated the way he deserved and just got overlooked for how un- incredibly talented and smart and into wrestling that he really is. But when you go back and like I said, when you look through the 2010s, the singles indie stuff that he did, PWG, ROH, like um, Chikara, stuff like that, like insanely talented wrestler um doesn't get the shrift doesn't get the shrift that he deserves um that said yeah like feels on another level coming out here definitely a big part of and this is where like the whole don't push wwe guys i'm sorry but like claudio comes out here and he feels like he ups the the level of the entire thing he feels like a big time major wrestling star a big fucking deal. Like he talked about the presentation and how he feels he ups the, the quality of the entire company and the brand and like the importance of everything. And that doesn't mean like, Oh, you know, that's only WWE guys can be stars because he goes in there and he gives the rub to Sabre here and Sabre feels bigger coming out of this. So it's, it's undoubtedly insanely crazy for me to being a guy who watched Zack Sabre jr. When he was a fucking teen wrestling on, bullshit you know european indie shows uk indie shows that nobody else was watching to going over to noah wrestling and tagging with you know ogawa putting the shit together showing up in america like getting to see him live and watch him become a star in front of a crowd that was like at the time were like kingmakers at pwg where people were like losing their minds for this guy and then that set him off on the course that he did to now wrestling in front of this giant crowd on pay-per-view against a WWE superstar. And he doesn't feel out of place and he's not doing anything but wrestling a Zack Sabre jr. Match. And that was a big part of why I really enjoyed this match opening up as it was going through. And I heard someone, something somewhere people, I should stop referencing things that other people say it didn't have as much of the like counters and back and forth and hold for hold, like hold to hold thing that has happens in a lot of Zack Sabre Jr. matches in New Japan, this and that. And that was, I think, why in the opening moments of this match, I was really enjoying it. And only in retrospect, when I heard someone say that, did I realize it's because it reminded me of the older Zack Sabre Jr. style. And it was less of the New Japan Zack and it was more of the WXW Zack. And it was more of the, again, like the earlier Zack Sabre Jr. It was a lot less of counters. It was a lot less of the New Japan thing. Like, yeah, like trading back and forth, moving around constantly from hold to hold, you know, the Billy Robinson thing or whatever, but like still just like kind of going too quickly from stuff, not really sinking anything, not really making things matter. Um, And I thought it was a little bit closer to when he was at, you know, better. I get where you're coming from saying like he didn't have the focus that he could have, but he's been a lot worse in the past few years than he was here when it comes to that stuff. Um, that said, otherwise I agree with pretty much everything else you said there. Um, great match. Phenomenal. But yeah, I just, it just didn't quite live up, but oh my God. And even on that, on even on oh, that front though, where, where I say that Zach didn't focus, um, I know that's been thrown at him a lot uh, over the years, but here it still kind of played a role because, well, he lost and yeah. nothing he did really uh, could find purchase on Claudio. He wasn't prepared. He didn't know who his opponent was going to be. So, you know, it, it did sort of still play a role. Like, 
of course, I would have liked something a, a little more direct and kind of, um, you know, concentrated. But, you know, when, when the outcome is that Zack eats shit and he loses to this guy he wasn't expecting, like, it, it, it still all kind of comes together in the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this now and I didn't look at the, you know, the Meltzer stars, but uh, looks like Meltzer also had the uh, Osprey and Cassidy match above pretty much everything else. So I guess I'm, I'm just Dave Meltzer now. He also had the opening <laughs> six man the same four and yeah. three quarter star. He was really high on the opening. A lot of That's... people are. People are going wild for the opening six man. That's kind of crazy to me to have it that high, but whatever. Um, no follow it up, Joseph. Your match of the night, IWGP. Absolutely, match of the year. Four way, probably that makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> what did you think about this? Like, uh, I don't know. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was bad. I, yeah. I like straight bad. Like I thought it was easily, easily the worst match of the night buy-in included like i thought it was oh, bad sure. like incredibly I, long too like there's there's two guys in here that i really like uh okada who has a history of doing having fantastic amazing matches some of the best matches you'll ever see and adam cole you know we we like to rag on him or whatever but it's not like he's never had a good or great match in his life you know he's still capable Sometimes there are things he's good at that he can focus on. And just none of it was in this match at all. Like this went like 21 minutes and it was excruciating. Like that's not that's not a crazy runtime for a four-way to have. Like that's what you'd kind of expect for a four-way. But this felt so much longer than it was. And yeah, like you'd think that with four guys, you can kind of mix up what you're doing, like Traditionally, the IWGP title in Japan isn't competed for in this kind of match. So, and they do try things, but like none of it was clicking. I, I, I didn't like it at all. Like, really, just wow. Really a shocking misstep given yeah. like who's in it. Like, this could have worked. It didn't have to be like bad. It could have been fine. It could have been good. Um, but yeah, just wow. Yeah, this was rough. And what's funny is like Adam Cole, like total MV wrestler, right? Because when you watch it back um, for the slow-mo or, or like the re recap replay on the end, like he hits a couple cool looking spots and like his like incredibly on the button, you know, catching the moonsault into the super kick and like, you know, the hitting the knee at the right spot where it looks cool. Like Adam Cole is like a, a backyard wrestler, basically. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know he got trained by CZW, but maybe that's taking it too far. Um, but yeah, like when you watch the clips and the moments, he can almost come across like he's good. But I'm sorry, Adam Cole is like pretty fucking bad. Like, I guess he's had some good matches here and there. But realistically, like it's been a long time since Adam Cole has been what I would consider a good wrestler. Um, so it's kind of tough. And then he gets injured in here, which like hurt the match, hurt the finish, hurt the, you know, what they were going for. It was relatively quick. And I think it was just like a, a, a hiccup on the overall story. So that does like, does not really give an excuse to this match. You know, like you can't like use the Adam Cole injury as like a way to pretend like the match was okay. Cause I think it was a very small part of it. Um, that's it. No, yeah, yeah that Okada. was just at the end. And like, this was bad, like 
before that, like long before, before that. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> I tweeted about this uh, while watching it. Like there's a point where they're ki- they kind of start cooking, you know. They're uh, they're they're hitting some flashier moves. People are getting into it. The crowd, you know, like people. The crowd is happy to see Okada. Like he does feel like a big deal coming out, and they're starting to get into the rhythm of the match. And then Okada slaps on the money clip, and you can see it on the footage. Like it's clear as day. Everyone was on their feet. Okada slaps that submission on, and like a light, everyone in that crowd sat down. Like they were just completely out of it as soon as that submission was slapped on. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, Okada obviously doesn't have a ton of experience in a setting like this. Um, you know, I like to hearken back to his Dragon Gate training or whatever, but like he's not he's not set up for like a four-way kind of this kind of action. Pay, I mean. Honestly, I think that the best wrestler in this match and the person who delivered this best was Adam Page. Like Adam Page, I agree. You know, yeah. Obviously, he had his background before this, but he cut his teeth a lot in ROH. And ROH, you know, you know, they do a ton of this kind of stuff. What the fuck is the name of the um? They do like a big six man match all the time, like Survival of the Fittest. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and mean, like four-way scrambles and all that kind of stuff. Like Adam Page did a ton of chaotic multi-man bullshit matches like this in his career. He knows how to shine in here. He hits some good spots. He tells a cohesive story. It's not just spots, but like he, you know, gets in there when he needs to. He gets some drama, sells enough, registers the sell, but then disappears. Like all that kind of stuff that you need to do in these settings. Adam Page did a great job at it. Everyone else in here. Adam Cole should be just as good as Adam Page at this. Really, he has just as much experience at this bullshit. Probably more. But, yeah, probably more. That's true. But like I said, you know, when, if you're just talking about music videos, if you're just talking about highlight reels, Adam Cole did hit a couple neat spots that stand out in your memory. But he was not cohesive throughout the match and whatever. Like Okada, Okada was over. And here and was like a warm body and like did the diving crossbody over the guardrail. Cool, whatever. Jay White, Jay White is not, should never, ever be in this kind of fucking setting. I'm sorry, Jay White, yeah. maybe the young lion Jay White, the white gear Jay White with the fucking, um, with the mohawk could pull this kind of stuff off. But the switchblade Jay White, this is not the setting for Jay White. This is not the place for him to be. This is a guy who tells stories in his matches. This is a guy who builds drama. This is a guy who takes you on a roller coaster ride for 30 fucking minutes. And you're going to pack him into this kind of bullshit. And that's honestly the most galling and upsetting part of this whole fucking thing is that you teased the IWGP champion match with Okada and Paige and you wouldn't say what the fuck you're doing because you they were changing the title to jay and all of this muddying bullshit and all of this like not being willing to like announce things ends you up in this place where you take a guy who would have absolutely fucking rocked it in this setting if you had just given him a straight up singles match but instead you teased all this other bullshit and you had to give us this because you wouldn't commit to anything and then you give us the worst version of this and you continue to, de- to degrade and devalue what Jay White could mean in America, because I still think Jay White is not a commodity in America and United States fans do not believe or care about Jay White and are not going to draw. And you fucked it even worse here by giving them this, because coming out of this, no one in here is going to be excited about seeing another Jay White performance. 
in and the United so States. And it's so weird too, because Jay versus Hangman was just such a natural pairing. Oh yeah, uh, that you could have easily slotted in here and had the exact same result, but like with a better match. Like Hangman has rapidly become this really effective. Like just blue collar, relatable babyface. It's easy to get behind him, and Jay is just the most shit-eating heel. Like you hate him. Uh, he's able to make you hate him. He's he's a loud mouth. You want to see him get punched in the face, and it, it would have been so simple. But they clearly there was something going on backstage. Whatever the politicking may have been, everyone was saying that. Everything had to be changed on the fly, constantly, every single week. So you know, um, yeah, it felt like it felt like they left money on the table uh, in what have been it, what should have been something really easy and like just a slam dunk success. Yeah, and I do i I think that it was good in some ways that Okada was here, but I honestly think that they should have just written Okada off of the show from the beginning. And not gotten people's hopes up because that became the thing I think that caused this is that they realized that the fans were really hoping and expecting an Okada match. And this motherfucker had to come to America during his wife's birthday and she was about to give birth. <laughs> he was trying to have a vacation. Poor man. Uh, yeah. He hasn't had a proper vacation since like the COVID shutdown. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. Main event time. Interim AEW World title match. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley. This fucking rocked. These guys are absolutely amazing together. But I want to let you talk about the match. But I want to talk about the booking and the finish and coming out of it. I worked myself and liked the idea of Tanahashi winning this belt here. Um, the interim title. I thought that it was fun. From the beginning, I said makes absolutely no sense because why would you make an interim title to give it to someone who's not going to be around? Sure. Um, and here's the other part of it. This actually really saves the prestige of the AEW title in a way. And that might sound crazy because I'm saying giving the title to Tanahashi would affect it. But I think Tony probably saw this very simply is that having a limited they've had a very limited number of aew champions and this keeps you from adding another one yes like even if he's just the interim whatever like if tanahashi had won this belt it's a weird addendum that creates like an insane a pocket that you have to explain well he was kind of champion but he was never champion this makes it simple john moxley was interim champion he has been the champion before he's already on the list it already makes sense but joseph Feel free to talk about the match, and you can respond to what I said there. Um, I thought this match was fantastic. Um, John Moxley is currently, in this moment, uh, the best wrestler in the world, and I don't think it's particularly close with anyone else who is right now active. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, you can see it, that physically, he is breaking down. Like I don't think there's any denying that. And Tanahashi is just one of those um, top-level, truly elite-level guys who fully understands pro wrestling such that uh, limitations become strengths. 
And he's able to turn the fact that he's physically breaking down into babyface magic. Like, now there's more for him to overcome. The mountain is even taller. Uh, the journey is even harder. And it makes it so much easier to get back into him. Like, uh, just what? Like, there was no way this match was going to be bad. Like, there, it just practically, reasonably speaking, there was just no way. And even then, it still found ways to surprise me with how great it was. Like, a lot of it is pretty much what you kind of would would have expected from a mox match in 2022 he's laying in the offense uh he's doing all the strikes he's using a little more uh chain wrestling and mat wrestling at the start ever since he hooked up with regal and uh dragon and all that um he's you know picking apart tanahashi he's making him incredibly sympathetic and when it hit me just how good both these guys were was like really like right at the finish where uh Mox grabs that uh, that sleeper, that choke on Tanahashi, and this crowd is losing their minds, wanting Tanahashi to win. Like Chicago booing John Moxley, best wrestler of the year, uh, top guy in Blackpool Combat Club, just all the street cred, all the wrestling fan cred you could want, and he's getting booed just because Hiroshi Tanahashi is this just generational all-timer babyface where you get so invested in his journey, in his struggle, in his attempts to win. You you just want it for him. You want him to win even when it's overriding every logical, practical part of your brain. Uh, It's absolute magic. I remember AJ Styles told this story once of when he was wrestling Tanahashi in Japan and he had the calf uh, crusher on Tanahashi and he was wrenching it in, wrenching it in, locking it in. And he was like, uh, Tanahashi, he's supposed to counter or do something by now. There's supposed to be like this next spot. What the hell is this guy doing? Why is he taking so long? And then he just kind of looked over his shoulder and saw that there were like fans in the front row openly weeping at the thought that Tanahashi might submit to AJ Styles. And AJ was like, oh my God, he just fully gets it. He just completely knows how to work these people and have them eating out of the palm of his hand. And that was that was the story that was just running through my head in those final moments. Like he just grabbed this crowd by the throat and he did not let go. Uh, just a stunning performance from Hiroshi Tanahashi in what appeared to be like us approaching the twilight years of his career. And he's still doing things like this. Just amazing stuff. Yeah, he'll never not be amazing. I refuse to accept. You said it's not. It's impossible not to see. I refuse to accept that his body is breaking down. I 100% believe he's doing this intentionally. He's just, it's <laughs> all a he's fucking work. Us? He's oh work. It's a God. work. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. He like it's a work. waddles instead of runs. He's I refuse waddling. to believe it. I refuse. The magic of Tanahashi makes me refuse to believe that he's human. He, this is, it's all <laughs> fucking part of the plan. This guy, like, it's watching him again, like you said, it's like a work of art. The guy is so good. And it's funny because I talked about, like, you know, the special artistic nature of like Omega and Kanye, where they're like prophets who can predict things and see things. Tanahashi is not that. 
Tanahashi is an amazing artist, but it is very basic and it's guttural and it's deep in your emotions that you can't help. It's the animal side of things Tanahashi speaks to. And that's why, like I've said it before, like <laughs> Tanahashi has feathered hair. Dylan, we talked about Dylan earlier. Dylan referred to Tanahashi as his favorite Joshi wrestler in the past. Um, but he gets this hardcore Chicago crowd to root for him and boo the fucking street rat John Moxley because there's something that you can't help but just love this guy because he's just has this natural instinct and this natural ability to speak to the like your emotions and to dig down deep and make people just fucking fall in love with him if you've never seen him before you instantly love him if you've seen him a thousand times you can't help but get emotionally invested in everything he does um yeah phenomenal match the fight uh, the fight the way they worked around the fight and the you know and 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 like playing playing into the hole like grabbing a hole waiting for it to subside getting back into it and then as you said it's moxley in 2022 the guy is ah joseph i don't like to give it away you know but the guy does feel like wrestler of the year that's like my that's, my, <laughs> that's like my my money shot that's the only thing i'm good for anymore is the you know the wrestler of the year list i gotta save something can't give it away before it's time but no the guy feels like wrestler of the year for sure it's fucking phenomenal the stuff that he does everything he does the guy is so fucking pro wrestling he pro hasn't ass wrestling he hasn't missed in months like it's absurd <sighs> the quality the volume just he's just firing on all cylinders and everyone who could conceivably catch him is hurt like yeah. Yeah. uh like i was I, in my own head i was starting a conspiracy that mox was just taking out all of his wrestler of the year conspirators one by one just going through them like that montage in goodfellas like I mean, <laughs> just clearing the path for his wrestler of the year victory and you know i don't ooh. want it to be this way i would love a weird and random and out there wrestler of the year pick you know at the start of the year it looked like it was going to be a competitive year with all these people back on the indies right. and out in the world but just the mox is just sort of unstoppable right now you know what i just found and this is a show that has uh the titan adam Shear in the main event in a tag <laughs> team in a tag team match with Redbeard. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. So the tag team is the Titan Adam Shear and Re Eric Redbeard. And you know who okay. they're wrestling against? Who? Bully Ray and Enzio Enzo oh. Amore. Now that's okay. a match of the decade. Now that is a match for the for the ages. But this is a NEW, the original NEW yes. show from January. Mm -hmm. And this, you know what is on this show? John Moxley versus Channing Thomas. World class Channing Thomas. It all comes together. It comes full, full circle, circle, baby. <laughs> yeah. It, the match is under three minutes, so it's probably not very good, but you have to check. I mean, it's probably good, but we have to check this out now. Obviously, we both have to watch this. Um, but yeah, Moxley's phenomenal. I don't know if there's anything else to say. Tanahashi is a once in a generation. I know it's cheesy because it's his gimmick, but he really is a once in a generation level talent. He gets up for the hi-fi flow just as, as far as I'm concerned, just as quick as he ever did. This guy should be still competing for the U30 title if, if, if it was up to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is 
Moxley cuts a gusher. You know, what do you expect from Moxley but getting the blood? As I, I tweeted this out, the real MVP of 2022 is blood. Um, and don't absolutely forget it, motherfuckers. Someone uh, someone someone tweeted oh, me once. Um <laughs> is Mox wrestler of the year or does he just bleed a lot in his matches? And the answer to both questions is obviously yes. <laughs> like Yeah, uh, exactly. Those things have something to do with each other. <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you. Well, there was the Ueno, the Ueno and uh, Sasaki match that just absolutely rocked where Ueno bled like buckets. Um, he so, did it yeah. again in the oh. King of DDT. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they did it twice and Ueno's oh, figured out. Yeah. Ueno's figured out that if you're working Sasaki, just get the blade out. Yeah, get it, get it out and just bleed like a motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, this uh, yeah, this was phenomenal. The perfect main event, and as I said, great smart booking because just keep it simple with the AEW title. I know it would have been really fun to do the, the you know the summer of Tanahashi and have Punk come back and all that, but this way again, like I said, protects the lineage of the title in a weird way because you're not adding another name to the list, but the name Correct. also has an asterisk and all that other stuff. It's just Moxley, and it's Mox, like you but said, also wrestler of the year. But also, it feels but, right. Yes. Like, even when Mox returned from uh, rehab earlier in the year, like his first promo back, I remember watching that promo and being like, oh, that's the world champion right there. That's the guy. Yeah. So just to have him back in that spot, it's just it just feels correct. Well, and it's really interesting to get to here because this was a conversation that I had on the podcast with Quentin Um early on in AEW about Punk and Moxley and about how you didn't need Punk anymore because you had Moxley. And when they got Moxley and he became the guy and I talked about just like the, the crowd that he attracts plus his age and the talent and the matches that he delivers. It was, I basically said like Punk is not really like a deciding factor anymore because you've got Moxley and that's really all you need. And so then for Punk to show up, to do what he did, which I would have not predicted that he would come back and literally be the best wrestler that he's ever been, which is like shocking. Like it really was shocking. And it is something that people need to remember that Punk did not just come into AEW. Punk came into AEW and had the best matches of his career. He had the best run of his career when he came back. Um, so that was like shocking. And it kind of like gets it out of your brain. So then now we're set up to, to really finally answer this question. You know, I know it's within kayfabe, but to be like, do you need punk? For Did sure. he come in and really prove himself? Or is Moxley really the guy? As you talked about, when he shows up from back from rehab, it's like, no, that's the champion. We don't fucking need punk. We don't need the title over there. This is the guy. So now yeah. we're on a collision course between the two. And I've genuinely been thinking about this. That's like when I don't think Mox is losing that interim title. Obviously not. I do think that Punk Mox is the match that they want to do. And, you know, as we get deeper into the year, depending on what the timeline of Punk's return is, the booking really has to contend with the question of, do we need Punk to have that belt when he comes back? Like, I don't think it's like as simple as Punk comes back and he reunifies the titles. I think that now that Mox has it, you really just have to sit and contend with Maybe, you know, this is just the guy. This is who we're going with. He's delivering on 
a level unseen in his career in the past. Like we talk about Punk being the best he's ever been uh, after coming back from seven years. Moxley is the best he's ever been, period. Like yeah. after like over a decade active in uh, pro wrestling and now he's starting to just feel like this genuinely, like just this force of nature, having great matches, having great promos. He feels like he feels like the most important wrestler in the world. And I don't know that you just switch that off and go back to punk when it's finally time for that match to happen. No, and I didn't agree with honestly, I didn't agree with giving punk the title. I, I was really firmly in the keep the belt on hangman thing. He had his run now. He got obviously got hurt. You know, I'm not trying to be like, oh, fuck you. You wasted you wasted your chance. But I do think that a big part of it was that p- mostly people were just like, we want Punk to win the title. I think that was it. And there was not a lot of people that were really into like, and then what? You know, like, and then what does he do? And I think it really comes down to like, he doesn't need it. He was having great matches that felt like the main event without it. He can continue to do that. He doesn't, it's punk. He can make everything work with the promos. So the title should be a Moxley and punk goes back to doing what he was doing. And I don't think, I think there's no harm, no foul. And you do get to say CM Punk was the champion, just like you get to say Jericho was the champion, just to add that legitimacy to the title, to be like, look at the people who have been champion. And you go back to where it makes sense with Moxley. And like like, I think we both agree, Moxley makes sense. Yeah, I think if, if it were me, if it were me and I had to make that choice, I would struggle to say that um, Mox shouldn't be just the choice moving forward. I think that the iron is hot and you got to you. Mox didn't have that run in front of a crowd when he did have the belt. Um, now you're in front of people. He's having this insane career run. Just keep it going. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I said we wouldn't have time to get to Dynamite because we're going to talk about the um, the series of matches between Slade and Hoodfoot. Um, the first match was uh, No Ring, Hoodfoot versus Slade. What was the name of the company? Um, Joseph. No Fear City. What, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what do you want to – do you have anything else you want to say before we head out? You want to plug anything, any of that stuff? I think, I if anything, I should be plugging my stuff. <laughs> yeah. You, um, I think – you're the big you're the big star here. Oh no. Um well, I hope Hoodfoot gets better. Uh, I felt really yeah. bad yeah. watching that death match. It was it was disgusting like watching it in the moment. Um but yeah, uh as for plugs, uh I am I have a YouTube channel where videos I made 4 years ago suddenly get relevant and big again. <laughs> um I'm trying to get more stuff out soon uh people know i'm working on the 1992 retrospective um of course walking the king's roads always in the pipeline uh if you want to see more of my detailed thoughts on uh present day wrestling on a much more regular basis uh check out uh fan bites uh wrestling section on their website you can check you can follow them on twitter at fanfight f-y-t-e um so yeah i think i'll just End it there. Check out Fan Fight. We get a lot of writers writing about a lot of different stuff from different perspectives. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, and I'm on there quite regularly. Yeah, you're always uh, always something popping up on there. Um, I don't know if I said this before, 
to you in general or at all. Um, but one thing I do find very funny is um, that Joseph Monticilio, right? That's your name? Yes. Yes. And I pronounce it correctly while other, there's a lot of people who don't. <laughs> it's true. Right? This is yeah. true. But the funny thing is I have been a um, contributor to your Ko-Fi for a while. Um, and I say your name correctly and you've always said my name wrong. <laughs> oh, no. I think I heard Which this on like I find one of your podcasts funny. with yeah. Quentin. Yeah, yeah, it's too late I, now. I'm You're not stuck sure with if it. I said it or not. <laughs> I I want you to continue it on because I find it very funny that it's like everyone mispronounces your name and I'm like I always say it right and you say mine wrong, which is it, you know it's good. It's reparations. <laughs> it, it truly is. I'm sorry. I know. I even live in Filipino town. I'm sorry. Um, That's true. <laughs> all right. All right. How Joseph. do you say your name? I feel like I feel bad. It's Buckner. That's the thing. Everyone Buckner. tries to pro- okay. overpronounce it, but it's really simple. Um, okay. And I used the, to always say it. I used to say it on the show. Like Timothy it's Robert the E Buckner throwing me off. Yeah, yeah. Everyone always does that. It doesn't matter. It's a fake name, anyways. Um, not. <laughs> It's my real name on my social security card. It's fake. Like, anyways, you know, it's one of those like we ran away to America and we changed the sure. name to get away from debts and stuff. Things. So I don't give a shit. But yeah. Um, but I always find that very funny. I've always enjoyed that. So please don't say it correctly. Okay. Either way, Joseph, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, so we'll thank see you. See you guys here next time. Um, and hopefully Quentin will be back. He'll be back. We'll be back next week. Um, bye. Living on the road, my friend, was gonna keep you free and clean. And now you wear your skin like iron, and your breath is hard as kerosene. You weren't your mama's only boy, but her favorite one, it seemed. She began to cry when you said goodbye. Back into your dream Poncho was a bandit boy His horse was fast as polished steel He wore his gun outside his pants For all the honest world to feel well, Poncho met his match, you know On the deserts down in Mexico Nobody heard his dying words Oh, but that's the way it goes All the federalists say They could have had him any day They only let him slip away Out of kindness, I suppose up and left his mouth the day they laid poor poncho low left he split for ohio where he got the bread to go there ain't nobody knows
Oh 